About a month ago, I gave a talk in London in the Quwwat al-Islam Masjid and Forest Gate. And the purpose of that talk was how to become a better person when we're alone. So tonight's talk is part two of that, and that is how to become a better person with other people. So in Urdu we call it to be good in halwa, to be good when you're alone, and to be good in suhba, to be good in your relations with others. Halwat may be acha, sohbat may be acha. To be good when a person's alone, and to be good when a person is with others. And our deen has taught us precisely both of these two things. Now one of the things I had mentioned last time was loneliness. That many people suffer from the feeling of loneliness when they're alone. If you want to understand the full cure for that, you will have to listen to that recording. But I will mention some things about that tonight as well. Because in our deen, definitely a person can be alone. But a person should never feel lonely. Not when they have the nur of iman in their heart. Not when they have the ma'iyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He has said, huwa ma'akum aina ma kuntum. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you wherever you may be. Such a person can never feel lonely even if though they may be alone. But tonight's topic is how to become better. So there's one problem, is that we don't have good suhbah, we don't have good company. A second problem is we're not good in whatever suhbah we have. And third, is that we have a lot of bad suhbah, a lot of bad influences and effects upon us. Imam al-Ghazali, he wrote a book which has been translated in England, actually in English, as Duties of Brotherhood, in which he was trying to explain how a believer should interact with other believers. What are the adab for that? So this is the first thing I will tell you, that how do you know if any suhbah is good or bad? So the question to ask is that are there any adab in this suhbah? And if there's no adab involved in this suhbah, it's not good suhbah for me. For example, if there is a book or a magazine, and there's no adab, you feel there's no need for adab, you can throw the book, you can toss the book, you can step on the book, you can read the magazine in your bathroom, if there's no adab towards that act of reading, that means it's not a good act for you. Compare that to the adab of Qur'an al-Kareem, the adab of the works of Sunnah, the adab of the works of Sirah, even the adab of students, and you will see them in schools, colleges, universities, they give to their textbooks, because that is also a knowledge of some type of value. That is the way to check. If you're talking with a person, and there's no adab, there's no manners, there's no courtesy, there's no respect, it's completely loose, free talk most likely that conversation is not going to be of any benefit to you. But if there's some adab there, there's some comportment, propriety, manners, ethics, etiquette there, then that conversation may be of some benefit to you. So one way to check if something is good suhbat, is there any adab in that? 
Muhammad with the different types of sohbah. Can I give you a bayan on the adab of watching TV? Can I tell you the adab of the screen? There's no adab in that at all. People sit in front of their screen wearing all types of funny clothing. People sit in front of their screen and eating and talking and doing anything. There's no adab in that context. There's no adab in their heart at that moment. So if you spend that period of time without any adab inside and without manifestation of any adab outside, almost always, few may be exceptions, almost always that is a sign that that is not <coughs> good sohbah, not good interaction, not a good action for you to do. And the strange thing is that in this world, the people who don't have deen, they talk like this, the following way. They say that every human being is alone, and they call that every human being is an atom, right? And they like to talk about this, the human beings are alone, and they're alienation. But that's because they don't have Allah SWT. That's because they feel an emptiness in their heart. And really, just imagine for a moment, if any one of us didn't have Iman, what would that mean? We would not have Allah Taala. That's loneliness. To be without Allah, that's called loneliness. There's no other definition of loneliness. To be without a friend, to be without some worldly companion, no. The real being alone is to be without Allah Taala. So when you read these people, the way they write, even their poetry, their philosophy, who, the people who don't believe in Allah SWT, they're alone. <laughs> they're people who are alone trying to understand this dunya. So you have to be very careful. You cannot understand dunya from such people because they don't have the right understanding of dunya because they're alone. You have to understand even dunya from deen. It's very important because many people, they think these two things are separate. So if I understand my dunya from the people of dunya, then I will take my deen from the people of deen. So you have to understand the reality, the haqiqat of dunya, also from deen and from the people of deen. <coughs> then, even in our relations that we have, even the relations that should have been good sahabah for us, we have become cold in those relations. Just like we've become cold in our salah, heartless salah, heartless parenting, heartless neighbors, heartless community members. Those relations that could and should have been lilla fila. We don't have that warmth in our hearts anymore. So we've taken Allah SWT out of the equation. One of the best examples of this is husband and wife. Now husband and wife, along with everything even the atheist world would say about husband and wife and their companions, friends, supporters. But that is the single believer that you will spend the most time with in your life. So from the Day of Judgment, which other mu'min will there be on that day that you spent the most time with them on earth? That's going to be your spouse. More than your parents, more than your children, it will be your spouse. So that's the number one fellow believer relationship is between husband and wife. That's the number one lilla filla relationship is husband and wife. And even people who are happily married, and they define happily married simply as this, that there are no fights <coughs> and arguments. That's it. We found a way to strategically get along and avoid certain topics so that there's no more earthquakes and eruptions at home. But they're not libas. 
They're not mutually supporting one each other on deen. They're not each other's deeny best friends. They may even be best friends in the world. But you see, this is a relationship. This is a soma. And it's supposed to be lillah fillah, but we made it empty. And this was a great ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was a great ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One of the things he did, one of the amazing things he did with Sahaba Ikram, radiallahu ta'ala anhu he taught them how to be good in the relations with others. Taking people who were overall from the society of Jahiliyyah and transforming them into the greatest, most virtuous, most just, most happy, most content, most peaceful society ever in the history of humanity. Wasn't just about how they were when they were alone. A lot of that was about how they were with others. How they were with one another and how they were with others. And because Sayyidina Rasulullah taught them that lesson, when he passed away from this world, Himself, he did not take the message of Islam outside Jazeera Arab, not even the contemporary Middle East. He did not himself, sallallahu take Islam outside the Arabian Peninsula. But he trained those Sahaba Ikram, radiallahu ta'ala anhu ajma'in, so well on how to be with other people that Jamaatul Sahaba took deen of Islam to every race, every culture, every background, every religion, every land of Barring a few extreme exceptions like Australia. Where did they get that training from? How did they learn that? Hmm? From Nabi Kareem, from the deen of Islam. That this is part of our deen. This is part of our deen. For me, I've lived in four countries in my life. One of them is your country, England. One of them is my birthplace, America. One of them is where I've lived for the past 25 years, Pakistan. And I also did a brief stint in Germany, Allah Akbar Kabira. And I can tell you, I mean, three out of four are pretty much the same, right? US, UK, and Germany. And I can tell you, this is fourth labor. Very hard. Very hard to live and adjust and be with different people. And I can only imagine Sahaba Ikram, how they managed to live and travel and not just live and survive. That's not survive for us. When you live in other countries, it's okay, how can I keep my iman intact? Not just survive, spread iman, spread deen, share iman, share deen, establish iman and establish deen. <coughs> it's much, much more than our efforts of dawah that ulama and tafis make or just on fellow believers. Sahaba's dawah was an altogether different level. It's not giving a bayan and masjid to fellow believers. Sahaba, oh Allah Akbar. And they didn't know, they had no guide. It's not like they knew what the non-Muslim is in front of me. They didn't know anything about their culture. They had no study. They had no guidebook that, okay, this is what they are, this is how you can talk to them. Nothing. They just took this pure akhlaq and adab in front of them. They said, well, it's enough. We don't need to know anything about them. There's no study. There's no discussion. There's no lectures we have to give them. We will just take the nur of haq to them. But you can only have that yaqeen when you do amal on that haq. Only a sahib amal can have such yaqeen. If you don't practice deen, you'll never have that level of yaqeen. All I have to do is live deen. And I mentioned to the fellows who were there last time also, 
because when we come from Bhaktam, then we may feel this. Because Bhaktam is very phenomenal for me. And we have very almost zero interaction with non-Muslims over there. But here, every interaction weighs on me heavily. Even just a librarian, I check out a book from them. I'm thinking, okay, this is a non-Muslim. And now they've met me. It it's going to come in their book of deeds that they met a Muslim. <laughs> what am I going to do about this on the day of judgment? It's in their record now. It's in their record. I forget, yes, I couldn't even make a scratch on them. All I could do was take the book from them. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at them, they're giving me the book, I'm taking the book. I'm thinking, Sayyidina Rasulullah, he says, would have wanted this person also to go to Jannah. Allah SWT, he says, the Quran is Rabbul Nas. Quran is a book for Nas. Allah SWT wants this person to go to Jannah. I'm standing like two feet from them. And all I can do is check out a book. Allah Kabira. Hmm? When you walk away and you just wonder, you know, how, you know, I don't know, nobody can recreate for this view how this Sahaba did it. Nobody knows how they did it. You can say it was their magic, it's the magic of their true Yaqeen Iman. It was pure mood. So they had the adab of Sohbah. They knew how to interact with others. You see, when you have good Sohbah, that Sohbah is what we call Rizq for the Ruh. It's nourishment for the ruh. And so whoever those people were, and all the non-Muslims alive today for that matter, they're not getting that risk. They're spiritually starved. So when a Sahabi would meet them, they would feel it. They would feel that spiritual transformation. Their ruh would wake up, and the fitra of iman would come alive, and they would say, Kalima la ilaha illallah Muhammad Sahaba can't touch their hearts. He can barely touch their minds. <laughs> he can barely touch their minds. So when a person has true sohbah, <coughs> it is risk for their ruh. And when a person is without good sohbah, yes, then loneliness, then depression, then sadness, then anxiety. Hmm? Because they may be around people. Today everybody, how can you, everybody's around people. Not around people so much of the time. But you're not benefiting from that company. So it's as if you're alone. And that makes a person feel lonely. That makes a person feel lonely. Now some Muslims, what they try to do in this situation is they think, okay, they think, and this is a mistake, they think they're strong. And they try to have what we call istignaf in Arabic. Some self-sufficiency. It's okay. I can live on my own. I can do it on my own. It's not possible. It is not possible to be on deen and fulfill your mission on earth alone. Allah SWT doesn't hate you like that. It is not possible. You must have good sohbah. You cannot say, I just live my own life, I keep to myself. It's not possible. You must have good sohbah in order to succeed on deen. All of Sahabi Akram were like this. All of the Tabeen were like this. All of the Tabal Tabeen were like this. You must always have good sohbah. Another extreme is to be only dependent on others. No. You have to be strong alone and you have to be strong in company. You have to be strong alone and you have to be strong in company. So I'll recite one ayah from Quran Kareem. Audhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajeem proclaim to them Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam innama a'idhukum bi 
that I, Prophet give you wa'ad, I counsel you, I invite you be wahidatin to do one thing. Allah Akbar, it's not hadith, it's just Quran. Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet in Quran, through Quran, you proclaim to the people that I am going to invite you to do one thing, antakumudillahi, that you should stand firm on the deen for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa in pairs and singles. You must stand upon deen together, and you must be strong enough to stand on deen when you're alone. You have to be able to do both. You have to be able to do both, and that is what's going to be called deen. You can never be alone. The best example I give you is Jannah. And you might think that in Jannah, because you get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then why in the world would you be interested in anybody else? Why would you need makhluk? Why would you need spouses and maidens and servants and friends and meeting sahaba and meeting and beyond Allah ta'ala? Because that's the fitra of a human being. You need Allah and you need virtuous service. And this will be the whole story of Jannah. Sometimes in Jannah, a person will spend time with the Anbiya, with Nabiya Kareem, with Sahaba, with Muhaddisin, Mufassirin, Ulama, Siyud, friends, family. And sometimes a person will forget all of them and be Fanafillah. The person will be alone and just dreaming about Allah Taala, remembering Allah Taala, and will keep changing, keep changing. Sometimes they will only be with Allah Taala. Then they will again be sitting with the Ahlul Jannah, and again only with Allah Taala. Then again with the Ahlul Jannah, and the entire eternal life will continue like that. So if you're not going to be alone in Jannah, you know, so there's no way that the ideal in this world is to be alone. But yes, matna wa furada. Together, Matanuta means in pair two, together and alone, together and alone, together and alone. So last week Bayan was on, the last time in London Bayan was on alone, so tonight is on together. But first we have to get one big thing out of the way, which is bad sukma. Bad sukma. Alright? So there are many different types of bad sukma. The first, so you can't benefit from good sohbah until you eliminate the bad sohbah. Let me make that very clear. Good sohbah of masjid, good sohbah of shaykh, good sohbah of jamaat of tabliq. If you keep on doing the bad sohbah, you will not be able to benefit from the good sohbah. I'll give you an example. If there's a pearl, and it's in the bad sohbah of a gutter, of a stream of dirty water, you take the pearl out and you give it the good sohbah of clean water. But if it only does that clean water for a few hours and a few days, and then goes back to the gutter, then as long as it stays in the bad sohbah, getting the good sohbah for some time is not going to have a long-term effect on it. So in order to benefit from the good sohbah, we have to eliminate the bad sohbah. The first of this is people. Nas, insan, not all of them, certain of them. <coughs> Which ones? The ones who seem to affect us in a way that they bring us into sin. So I was telling one friend earlier today, you have to view sin as the red zone. You can never ever enter the red zone. You don't blame that person, you blame yourself. Because ultimately it's you who has led into the sin. But if you notice this, that when I spend time with certain types of people, 
For example, if you work in a company or a store or a shop or a business or a university or a hospital or a clinic or wherever you work, and there's maybe a woman colleague or a woman secretary, and at work there's no problem, but if sometimes you sit with her or have coffee with her or have tea with her, you realize that whenever I do that, some inappropriate feelings come in my heart, some inappropriate desires come in my heart. So what does that mean? She's not a bad person. She's a non-Muslim. She has a right on you. You were supposed to guide her to deen. In fact, in some way, in some way, she has even more right on you than a non than a Muslim woman, because the Muslim woman at least she has iman. This woman doesn't even have iman. Can you imagine the adab you should have to a human being, a non-Muslim, that they need you for their very iman? Can you imagine how much adab you have to have to such a person? How much courtesy you have to have to such a person? Maybe if I always lowered my gaze in front of her, she would have noticed that. And she would have realized that there's something different here. And if I chatter up, <coughs> what you say in English, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, subhanAllah, I finally got to say it in the right place. <laughs> if I chatter up like every Tom, Dick, and Harry does, to make her feel that I'm just like everybody else, but then she'll not believe that she'll actually think I'm just like everybody else. But I'm not. Allah Ta'ala is blessing you with iman. Hmm? You have to be careful of that. You have to be careful of that. Hmm? So here, that is one type of bad sohba can be when you're with a person. Second type of bad sohba is as you would already, I already explained in media. This media world, first obviously there's a synonym. This I'll give you a very simple rule. Whatever is haram to do in real life is haram to see on the screen. It's that simple. So in our deen, it is not permissible for a non-mahram man to even kiss a non-mahram girl on the cheek. So it's not permissible to see that on the screen. It doesn't matter that these people call that permissible and not adult rated. For us, it's not permissible. Whatever you cannot do in real life, you cannot see on the screen. That's it. It's that simple. You cannot see a woman's hair in real life. You can't see her hair on the screen. I don't care if she's giving you the weather. I don't care if she's giving you the breaking news bulletin. You can't do it. Whatever is not permissible to do in real life is not permissible to see or do on the screen. It's that simple. Because the screen is part of your real life. It's going to go in your book of deeds. It's real. It's not going to be that, no, no, that's not going to come back to my deeds because it was on the screen. She wasn't in front of me. It's going in your book of deeds. Whether you saw her live, you saw her on screen, you saw her on replay, it doesn't matter. It's going in your book of deeds. There's no difference for us then. All right? Okay. There's another part of the media, however. Now this, I call this the yellow zone. That's called ghafla. You don't need as much news as they're giving you. You don't actually need to know, and you're from London, you know that even what the weather person tells you, it's not going to happen anyway. Hmm? You don't need to know as much as they're offering you <coughs> in terms of even any type of information. Whether it's about sports, whether it's about news, whether it's about fashion, whatever it is. And you know what? I'll tell you honestly also. 
you don't even need to know as much as they're offering you about the Muslim world. You don't actually need to know that much. Unless you can do something about it. But you know this much and you're still doing this little about it. So if you were to know even this much more, you'll still only do this little about it. <coughs> Let's say one of you does not know the number of Rohingya Muslims that have been killed in the last 12 months. Okay, if you're not going to do anything about it, what difference would it make to you? First you have to tell me, you know, it'll make a difference. If I find out 1,000 were killed, I will do this. If I find 10,000 were killed, I will do this. If I find 100,000 killed, I will do this. And I say, okay, fine, then you need to know whether it's one or ten or hundred. And if you say it won't make any difference to me whatsoever, then it's actually even better if you don't know. Because that knowledge will actually count against you on the Day of Judgment. It will actually count against you on the Day of Judgment. Alright? So, media. Now, media is also a lot about ideas and culture. Now, this is a very delicate thing. Because when you live in a non-Muslim country, you live in a secular country. So now I want you to understand. It's like a fish. If you tell the fish that we're going to put you in a fish tank with bad water, but you have to be good anyway, they say, but how is it possible? The dirty water in the fish tank, right? So spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, not in terms of your world, your earning, your peace, your security, your justice, that's all fine. In terms of your rule, living in a society that is not based on Iman is harmful to your rule. All you have to do then is take the requisite precautions. Like for example, when it's cold, you wear a sweater, you wear a coat. So if there's a place where it doesn't have the spiritual warmth of nur of Iman and taqwa, you have to adopt more taqwa yourself. You have to have more amal. You have to have more ibadah. You have to have more sunnah. You need it more because it's more cold out there. Never think that it's possible to live in any society. And Pakistan is not much better. Many of the Muslim countries aren't much better. Any society which as a society is distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will need to do more as an individual to compensate. As opposed to thinking that the society is less or less excuse, I can get away with less. That oh, if I live in Makkah Mukarramah, I would be like this. But then because I'm in London, I only have to be like this. No, it's the opposite, actually. Be what you would think, how pious do you think you should be were you to live in Makkah Mukarramah year-round? That's how you have to be over here. That's how you have to be over here. All right? Third is nafs. Yes, whenever you sin, you're in the suhbah of your nafs. Whenever you disobey Allah subhanahu wa you are befriending your nafs. That is also suhbah. Whenever you miss Fajr Salah, you're in the suhbah of your nafs. Whenever you sleep at night without setting the alarm, without niyyah to wake up for Fajr, you sleep all night with your nafs. You cuddle with your nafs all night long. If you go to sleep not having prayed Isha Salah, and your niyat is not even, not that you're taking a nap. You go to sleep without having prayed Isha Salah. You're sleeping all night with your nafs. Hmm? And yes, if you were in ibadah, but that's good, so that's coming later. If you are in a state of ibadah, in a state of ta'at, obedience, then you're in sohbat of your rule. And now you have to think now, how much of my time and how much of my life have I spent in sohbat of my nafs? And how much of my life and time am I spent in sohbah of my rule? 
Sukhma, the last type of bad Sukhma, and you're going to be surprised at this one, is called Sukhma of Shaitan. Yeah. This is also something that happens. That a person is on the Sukhma of Shaitan. And whosoever pulls back <coughs> whomsoever withdraws, pulls back, becomes veiled and fails to notice the advice and admonishment and guidance of Ar-Rahman who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appoints for him a special shaitan. It's not Iblis. Not Iblis himself. One of the shayateen from them one. Allah ta'ala appoints that one shaitan for that purpose. And then that shaitan who was appointed for huwa lahu kareen. And that shaitan becomes his deep, intimate, near, stuck, faithful companion. Person is in Sahaba of Shaitan. Now, originally, this verse had a much more strong meaning. But we can understand this that any time we turn away from the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are in Sahaba of Shaitan. We are in the Sahaba of Shaitan. You know how many times Shaitan disobeyed Allah to become Shaitan? Just once. After that, he's done many disobedience. But how many sins did it take for him to become shaitan? One. One sajda he refused. One. That's a lesson for us. You go to sleep without intending to pray fajr, you refuse sajda once. Remember, <laughs> this happened before in history. There was a being, a creature from the jinn, his name was Iblis, who obeyed Allah Taala, worshipped Allah Taala for Allah knows how many years, but it's thousands and thousands and maybe millions of years. And he refused one sajda to Allah Ta'ala once. And that was enough for Allah Ta'ala to change him into shaitan or rajim or mazut. Hmm? We should be scared. <laughs> we don't have the amount of ibadah that Iblis had when he was good. Hmm? You miss one salah, you should be scared. So any time we disobey the commandments of Allah Taala, we end up in the suhba of shaitan. Okay? Then Allah Taala mentions in the Quran what's going to happen on the day of judgment. So that person, Kareem, yani this shaitan, will tell Allah Taala on the day of judgment that I'm not the one who led him to be rebellious and to disobey you. But he himself he was in far manifest error, far removed from guidance. He was already like that himself. You imagine on the day of judgment having a shaitan testify against you. That's the enemy. When is okay, my own organs and limbs will testify against me. My book of deeds will testify against me. Angels, beings of new Kanam and Kasabin, they will testify for and against me. But then a shaitan will come and testify against me. Hmm? So this is another type of sohbah, bad sohbah, which is sohbah of shaitan. Now we move to good sohbah. Of good sohbah, there are two parts of this. 
The relations that Allah has already placed you in with people, make them better. And then find more good stuff about for yourself. So what are those relations? Number one, parents. People normally think when a person like me speaks about Sohba, all we're going to do is talk about Sheikh and Sohba of Sheikh. But you really can't benefit from Sohba of a Sheikh or a Alam or a Dayan team until you do Allah on everything and tell it to them. I will tell you about that at the very end. Okay? Even that I will tell you in a different way than I myself normally tell you in the previous chapter. First, Sohbah's parents. What does it mean by Sohbah? Parents sometimes just want the Sohbah of their children. Many times you will find if you have parents, sometimes they say, just sit near me. Just sit by me for five, ten minutes. I just want to see your face for five, ten minutes. What does that mean? That's Sohbah. They're not asking for your khidmah. They're not asking you for to do something for them, to take care of them, to run an errand for them. They just want you to be with them, near them. If you call them, there's nothing particular emergency situation, nothing they need to ask you about. They just want to talk to you for a few minutes. That's called sohbah. Now the word Allah SWT, the main word Allah SWT is using comes from parents is ihsan. So the core word, I'm going to give you one word for each of these things. So the parents, ihsan. Ihsan, ihsan, ihsan. Now sometimes, some of us, we fail in that. Sometimes we're not always to be, we're not always able to be very virtuous and noble in our behavior. So one way to try to have ihsan is sometimes just sit with your parents. Quietly, just sit there. Just sit next to them for five, ten minutes. You will see, inshallah ta'ala, if you try this, just sitting with them sometimes, a few times a week for five, ten, fifteen minutes will enable you to have more ihsan for them. Right? Second is children. Children. The key word in the Quran for children is tadbiya. So what does it mean? Labbayani. Oh my love, have rahmah, have mercy on them the way they did my tadbiya when I was young. What does it mean? Allah has used the same word labububiya tadbiya. What does it mean? Your children are your greatest amal. How you raise your children. And a lot of us, there are a lot of things that we have very limited ability in this world. You don't control the society, don't control the neighborhood, don't control the environment. But you control how you raise your kids. Allah SWT has given you a level of sovereignty over your children. Tarbiyah. Hmm? That, that starts with sohbah. Hmm? Many children will simply say this, that's not a question of my father being a bad father or a good father. He's just not around. He's just not there, right? But this is a very devastating thing. And I myself am living in that situation when I sit with you here, right? For those of you who are living <coughs> in the same home and house as your children, you should spend more time, more sohbah with your children. If you can't be good in your sohbah with your parents, you can't be good in sohbah with your children, or is it the third one for you or there, you can't be good in sohbah with your spouse, there's a very limited way you're going to be able to benefit from the sohbah of being with your spouse. And this is the training. You will see this training 
in Hadith that Nabi Kareem gave Sahaba examples. There's one Sahabi, she came to the Prophet and she complained, in a way, complained about her husband. What was the complaint? That Rasulullah he prays all day and he fasts all day and prays all night. She was trying to explain something. Alright? He fasts all day and he prays all night. That's it. Few words. Ajeeb, when you read hadith, the communication is amazing. In just few words, Sahaba would talk, and just in a few words, Nabi Akareem would call the man. He called that Sahabi, he asked Sahaba to bring that Sahabi. That Sahabi came. He said, okay. وَلِنَسْكَكَ عَلَيْكَ حَقٌ وَلَأَهْلَكَ عَلَيْكَ حَقٌ But, that's it. That your body has a right on you, and your wife has a right on you. In Arabic, we call it Masallah wa Majalla. He was concise, and you can say concise and precise in his speech. Allahu Akbar. Taught this how otherwise the Sahabi thinks, right? Me and you might have thought that, okay, fasting all day, praying all night, that's higher. No. Spend time with you. Allahu Akbar. Now, why, why did the Sahabi do this? Probably, I would assume he must have heard the hadith that the Prophet talks about those who shun the. Mm. Sides of their spouses and stand and worship. There was a balance there. There was a balance there that yes, they do shun the sides of their wives and stand and worship, but then they also return to their wives. Hmm? Parents, children, spouse. Second type of good soba. Now this is family, alright? Second type of good soba is whatever to make second type of soba to make good is whatever interaction that Allah has put you in, professional, colleagues, teacher, student, whatever it is, everybody in terms of earning your risk or spending your life or whatever it is that you do, right? There are people you interact with. <coughs> Try to make those interactions better. Try to make that sohbah better. And like I told you, the asl is dawah. The asl in every sohbah is dawah. All adab is for dawah. All akhlaq is also for dawah. Al khidmah is also for that. Every single interaction is done to bring the other person closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being polite has no value in it itself unless it brings that person closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? I've already explained that to you how weak and how lacking we are in that dawah. I'm talking about dawah in general, not any particular method. In fact, dawah has to sometimes be unfettered. And exclusive methods of tasawwur for <coughs> others. And in every interaction has to be just umumi what we call doubt. This is the way of the Ahl Imam. Alright? <coughs> so whatever it is, it's neighbors, colleagues, society, country, however you want to call it. Third, third sohbah. Rather now let me shift just to the types of interactions we have to make them good. Third topic, so first was bad soba, second was to make our existing soba good, third now good soba. Number one good soba is soba of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the refugee. That is good soba. And a lot of us would have no ilm regarding that. Needy, depressed, the downtrodden, that is good soba. Sohba means to really sit with them. Sohba, writing a check for the poor, that's not sohba. That's sadaqah. That's charity. Sohba means to sit with them. 
interact with them. So love the poor. We told you people last time in London, this is one of the greatest blessings I feel. I got from studying in Madrasa in Pakistan and I spent four years full-time of my life being in the poor people. 95% of Madrasa Talaba in Pakistan are poor. I was one of the exceptions, 5%. Allah hmm? Akbar. And this is the big difference, by the way. This is the real difference I feel that the people who study, especially the people who, even though we teach each other ourselves, it's important to tell you the difference. The people who study only online, or even worse, the people who just read themselves and take exams once a year. Amongst many big differences in terms of tazkiyah, tarbiyah, ilm, tafakkur, hikmah, another big difference is this. We didn't get the soul of the poor. And that's really, I probably forgot a lot of things I studied in Madrasa Darulmaj, but I can never affect four years day and night full time being in the poor. For 15 months I lived with them. I actually lived separately from my wife. I lived in the Madrasa Darulmaj before. In a separate city. Hmm? Day and night with the poor. It was a unique experience being born and raised in New York City. It was a unique experience. <laughs> hmm? For me, that was the greatest blessing of studying in Madrasa in Pakistan. Not that you guys call me Hazrat Mulana Mufti. Or that I know you that Arabic and Quran. But that I got. Otherwise, I would have never lived with the poor. Never. I would have never done it. It would have never been. It would never have happened. Hmm? This is an incredible sunnah. And this is the sunnah of all the anbiya. All of the anbiya is to sit with the poor. And our Nabi, Sayyidina Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allahu Akbar to be that. He loved the poor. He lived with the poor. He said such beautiful hadith to them. Hmm? <coughs> he would take their hand, he shook one poor laborer's hand once and he felt the roughness on his hand. And he said a hadith about the person whose hand grows rough, earning halal, rizqe halal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive them and send them to Jannah with him. That's called Sohba with the poor. Feel them. You feel what they are, how they live, and what they do. Hmm? And you have an opportunity in this country, and I don't know if it's in London, must be, if you're refugees, or Muslim refugees from Syria and perhaps other countries, who are coming or have already come to this country. You have to sit with them. This isn't just cost for the relief from the American agencies, only Ummah Welfare Trust will do this. No, no, no. You want to do it for yourself. You're not going to do it as khidmah. Ummah Welfare Trust is doing it as khidmah for taking care of the refugees. You will do it for yourself. I need this sohbah. This is a refugee. This is homeless. This is a person maybe orphan. For the women who are listening, maybe widow. Maybe, I don't know what the word English is for that, but there are men also who lost their wives. Widower, right? Find them. For your own own sake, for your own sake, find them. At least there should be one or two refugees that you just sit with them, <coughs> just hang out with them. Believe me, <laughs> you spend one hour with a refugee and then pray salah. Maybe you say, no, I'm not able to focus on salah, we teach you zikr. It's okay, do this zikr. That, that can work also. But not all of you are able to do that level and that amount and that quality of zikr. You need to try other things. Believe me, you go spend one hour with a refugee and hear what they have to tell you about their life, 
you will feel so much focus on Allah Taala when you pray your next salah. You will be flying in your next salah. You will remember Allah. This is good salah. Those of you who spent too much time with you and ulama, maybe we've done about as much as we can for you. You might actually benefit more by sober with the poor and sober with the refugees. So this is an incredible opportunity for you in England. But the refugees, I know for a fact that they're already here and there may be some more coming. Find them, be with them, sit with them, spend time with them, be in their soba. Be in their soba just like if you could be in soba from Great Abdul. You would love to sit with them just like that. You love to sit with them and love to be with them. <coughs> Second type of good salah is with the ummah. What is it? Ummah bana. All of us are ummah, right? By ummah, I mean somebody who sits a little bit with a Muslim, who's not in the same masjid as you, who's not from the same village in Gujarat as you. Not in the same town of Pakistan as you. Don't look for the fellow Americans who are studying in your university. Hmm? Maybe not of the same particular <coughs> sheikh as you. Nay, someday. Sabko chairam. Sabko chairam. Sit with somebody who is in the ummah, but in every other sense is khair to you. In every other sense. That you have actually no ta'luk, no relation, no connection with that person. Nothing, no family, personal, nothing. Other than that they are a believer. That's what I mean by ummah. That's good sohbah. That's another thing I'm like having the most, right? If you travel far and wide in Tabliq, you may find that also, right? It's very important to sit with people like that. It's good sohbah for you. Sometimes it takes us out of very narrow thinking and we're falling into it. Sometimes it makes us just in touch with it just purely because of the iman. You will enjoy your iman. You know, I'll give you, I'll give you my own example. Okay, I'll, tell you, I'll give you an example that you enjoy this connection, right? If I meet somebody from New York, I enjoy it a little bit. It's a connection. But why can't I enjoy just this pure, khalis, only this connection that he's a fellow believer in Allah SWT. That's it. I know nothing else to do with it. Sohbah Ummah. Hmm? So when you go on Umrah, this is a very good opportunity to do that. Right? I'm amazed. A lot of people, they go on Umrah. And they don't even have a two, three minute conversation. A conversation, I don't mean that how much did you pay for this package? And how much did you pay for this hotel? All right? Conversation, I mean, sit with that person a little bit. Probably for most, it's the only time in your life you may actually meet Muslims from those lands or those countries or those backgrounds or those schools of thought. No problem. Hmm? Sit with them. Sohbah of Ummah. This feeling of fellowship. This was actually <coughs> the ayah I recited to in the beginning. Allah <coughs> says in Quran that all the believers are brethren to each other just on the basis of their Imam. It's only when you have sohbah of the ummah that you'll be able to do amal on the hadith that Nabi Kareem sallallahu said about the ummah. I'll just do it again and again. So the Prophet said no. That the ummah means that when one part of it feels pain, 
to mess with it, to feel the pain. But sometimes you'll meet a person and he feels more about Syria. Why? Because you find that he has a Syrian friend or he visited Syria. What does it mean? Sohbah. Because of the Sohbah, he tells the Hadith more. The more Sohbah you have with Ummah, the more you will be able to do Amal on this Hadith. Then Nabi Akareem says that none of you truly believes unless they love for their fellow believer what they love for themselves. So imagine if you were a refugee in this country. What would you love for yourself? You would love that you would find somebody who makes you feel welcome, who would make you feel at home, and maybe figure out a way to cook your favorite dish or to help you out in finding Hmm? What would you want? What would you need? What would you love somebody to do for you if you're in that situation? You have to love that for that person. It's not just enough to say salam to them in the masjid. Believe me, I'm not a re- I'm a traveler. I have a sense of it, right? Uh, when you're in a foreign land, in a foreign place, you need more than just a salam. Alright? So when you spend time with the ummah, you'll be able to do amal. <coughs> on this hadith of the Bayekarim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then, <coughs> in terms of deen and dunya, in our relationships with the ummah, can sometimes be on basis of deen and sometimes on basis of dunya. So if it's deen, one word again for these two, al-deen and nasihah. So the dawah I've used in tonight, more halal Muslim, or the dawah which Muslim is wrong, but the word I'm going to use for that tonight is nasihah. You have to be a person of Nasihah. What does it mean? You sit with a refugee, you give them love, you give them help, you give them guidance, you give them welcome, and there has to be some element of deen, something that you heard, some ayah, some hadith, something that has to be from Nasihah. Even to say this, this is not how Salaam brought you here. He brought you into safety, took you out of that situation. Inshallah, Allah care for you. Take them from Nasihah. Don't let an interaction with a fellow believer from the Ummah happen without Nasihah. <coughs> That's more doable. Like I told you, having interaction with non-Muslim without Dawah happens to us most of the time. But you should not have an interaction without Nasihah. In terms of dunya, in terms of dunya, one of the greatest things that we can do for believers in dunya is called Sunnah. Sunnah means to mend the hearts, to patch the ties. Many times you may find opportunities to become your own family or extended family. So Allah SWT said in the Quran <coughs> to finish that, uh, to read further in the ayah, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةً فَأَصْلِهُ بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ That indeed the believers are brethren to one another, therefore create sunnah. Mend the hearts and patch the ties between your brethren. So what we learn from this ayah is the first duty and role of brotherhood is sunnah. You may already, you may know, most of us know in our circle some people who are not getting along. Have some, there's that kind of misgiving, ill will, hostility, hatred, envy, one another. Try to play a role in sunnah. <coughs> and before I end, give you one of the light points. Also, sunnah of friends. Everybody needs good friends and good 
greatest key example of this is Nabiya Kareem another meaning of the word as-siddiq from Sayyidina Abu Bakr anhu and Sayyidina Umar in fact let's just take that second one tonight <coughs> when I talked to you about last time <coughs> Sayyidina Abu Bakr the greatest human being after the Anbiya that's my personal view greater than Khidr greatest human being after Anbiya Sayyidina Rasulullah greatest of the Anbiya Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq greatest of the non-Anbiya he still needed a friend so Allah Ta'ala gave him the greatest friend in his Ba'd al-Rasul who at the time of being Khalifa he needed a friend Allah Ta'ala gave him Sayyidina Umar who I say is the greatest friend in the history of humanity Hmm? And this shows you when Sahaba Kram needed friends, right? Yes, they're part of the deen, you need friends. A deen and Nabi have friends. What the law sold the haq, what the law sold the slavery, friends. Hmm? You need good friends in deen. And that's important because some of us, we may have good friends who talk to you about dunya, or good friends who join you in your business, or you need good friends in deen good friends in deen then if you have a friend like that that person will also be good for you now finally the last thing to have suhbah with those who are true now many people they don't know the actual revelation of this verse so the actual revelation of this verse is not about Murid having the soul of a sheikh. It's actually <coughs> talking to every believer to have company <coughs> with any and every other believer who has any level of more taqwa, more saleh, more muttaqi, more haya, more ilm, more adab, more akhlaq, more ibadah, more zikr, in any way. That's good sahaba. That's good sahaba. And there's another eye of Quran, which is ajeeb. And again, this eye is often used for some of the shaykh. This eye has a completely different original revelation. And what is that eye? This is strong stone. That oh hold yourself steadfast. Bind yourself in Sohba. With whom? With those people who were busy occupying themselves, calling your love, seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Morning and evening, who <coughs> seeking the expression of Allah's pleasure. You should not even lower your gaze from them. Do not even lower your gaze from dunya. Do you seek the beauty of this world? And do not fall, do not obey that person. Whose heart we Allah who made his heart empty of our remembrance. <coughs> when that person's heart is empty of the zikr of Allah, he follows his whims and desires. 
matter and is affair in this world, becomes one with the Supreme. Who, who is the most wonderful? I'm talking to you. You'd be amazed. All of them are here, so they know what's coming. Because many times people, when they hear this, they don't believe it. <laughs> All right? Allah Ta'ala is talking to Sayyidina Rasulullah directly, singularly. Wasbir nafsaka. O ye one Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam being told to keep Sohbah of other people yes who are these people? in Hadith Ibn Hajar al-Haythami has a collection called Magnum Zawaid and he collates these Hadiths that are not found in the more sort of authentic historical collections and so he has narrated a hadith and graded it to be sound that Nabi Akram then went to the masjid, <coughs> obeying Allah's command given to him in Wa'i al Quran, and he found that there were people who were worshipping and remembering Allah. It's a long hadith, you know, I have some questions about who they were and how they were worshipping Allah. Alright, now <coughs> what we learn from this hadith is that even the Anbiya. In a sense, needed this ummah. This is why Allah Subhanahu mentions about the Prophet Harisun Alaykum. The Prophet loved the ummah. He loved to be with the ummah. And the ummah loved him. So why are we saying friendship? It goes to a very high level also. You know, when we give you bayan, I need to give the bayan. You came because you felt you needed to hear it. I came because I needed to give it. I need you, you need me. That's called friendship. That's called being a friendship. And that is the sunnah of Nabi Akram. And that's how the Sahaba and Tabi'in were with each other. That's how the Sahaba and Tabi'in were with each other. This mutual love, this mutual need, this mutual dependency. That's why Allah Ta'ala Surah Fatiha makes us use what we call Sirat al-Jamal, yani ihdina, guide us. So you're praying to Allah Ta'ala, Ta'ala yourself. Ihdina, ihdina, ihdina. Guide all of us to Sirat al because as much as I feel I need it, I feel it for Allah. Alright? So if you look at the Akram sallallahu of course none of us will be able to do it like that, but just to understand. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had salah for love and he had salah for ummah. And his whole day and night was spent going back and forth from these people. At night when he would rise, he prayed Tahajjud Salah, Salah for love. When he would finish his Tahajjud Salah, make Dua, Salah for Ummah. When he would finish his Dua, go out into Masjid Nabi, Salah for Ummah. When again he would be alone or in Salah, Salah for love. All nights like that, Salah for love, Salah for Ummah. I'm giving a new word. Hmm? People never heard this word. They've heard Salah for love, maybe heard Salah for Muslim, maybe Salah for Sheikh. But I've never heard of Salat al-Ummah. Hmm? Ah. So Nabi Akram sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Salat al-Allah, Salat al-Ummah. And he also said, Baqab al-Allah, Baqab al-Ummah. Baqab means that he was able to sustain himself and carry on because of his connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whenever Allah subhanahu wa saw that the burden of Nabuwa was becoming heavy, on the Prophet, so he would tell him, no, 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 this is just 
But ah, oh, don't worry. All you have to do is deliver the message. You won't be held to account because Fatima is very, very heavy on it. Whenever it will happen, Allah Ta'ala will reveal a verse to give him sukoon. That's Baqabullah. In Baqab in Ummah, Nabiya Kareem is it that many, it's the flavor of Ibrahim. Nabiya Kareem sallallahu loved to leave with his Ummah. It's not like, it's not like that. That if it was up to him, he would have took them alone and made sicker. But because he was Nabi, he had to, no, no, no. He loved to be with them. He loved to be with the Ummah as much as he loved to be on the Musalla. And that's why in Jannah, because if you think about it, in Jannah, when I said in the beginning, remember about us, inshallah, Allah, 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 mercy sends us to Jannah. Amen. We won't be alone. We'll spend time with others. But who would have been the haq? It would have been Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's haq in Jannah. That okay, I gave my life as a Nabi for the Ummah. Now in Jannah, I will just gaze at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even in Jannah, Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa loved to be with his Ummah. Allah Akbar Can you imagine? Hmm? We cannot even imagine what happens in Jannah to any one of us. Inshallah, if we make it. But we can't ever imagine what Jannah will be like for the Prophet himself and how he will be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how he will, Allah subhanahu We can't even imagine the miraj. This is a moment. How can we imagine eternity? But even at that maqam, maqam al-mahmudah, al-dalatul rafi'ah, that we make dua for, at the adhan, Allah Ta'ala will grant the Prophet even then he will love to be with his <laughs> Why did I mention this at the end? So you understand that Allah Ta'ala has created us for good sahbah. If you want to think Allah Ta'ala created me and gave me iman in order I can make it to Jannah. Wallahu yalu ila daris salam. Then in Jannah, Hmm? Allah Ta'ala created me for good sohbah and to be good in sohbah and that's what I want in eternity of good sohbah then why not in this world be good in your sohbah and seek out good sohbah and if you can do that then the Rabb said last time is when you're good when you're alone when you don't sin and you obey Allah Ta'ala and you worship him and you're good in your sohbah with others, then you will get the healing of Then your best sohbah will be the mayyid and the best sohbah will be with me. That's the best. In English it means that your best company will be when you're in the worship and remembrance of Allah and your best worship and remembrance will be when you're alone. Means you will be best when you are alone. As opposed to us right now, you're worst when you're alone. The worst thing we do is when we're alone. The worst betrayal of Allah we do is when we're alone. If we can learn to be good when we're alone, and we can learn to be good when we're with others, then inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his rahmah and mercy, will grant us that best halwa and best salwa that is called Jannah. Amen. May He make us good, solid, deen, mustaqim, mukminin, publicly.
private means, secret means, open means. Can Allah protect us from every open sin, from every secret sin? Before we make dua, we make short zikr of the heart. <coughs> this is the method of zikr that we promise and teach. It's a good zikr to practice when you're alone. And if you feel lonely, to remember that Allah is always with you. We will make this the very few moments that we will make dua, inshallah. So close your eyes to forget the world. Close your mind and forget your thoughts. Go deep into your heart, the heart of your ruh, your spiritual heart, your qalb. And making it that you're calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from a heart that has called to so many others, from a heart that has loved so many others, from a heart that has had so many unlawful emotions. Now you want to fill that heart with the true emotion, the pure emotion of love for Allah, longing for Allah, yearning for Allah, desiring for Allah, and that your heart is silently calling Him, that your heart is silently remembering Him, that your heart is focusing on His name, as if your thumb is calling Allah, Allah, Allah. Let us take it out from Munkar. Here, the Bikrim grant us the 
الإمام الإمام جاز الإمام بعد الإمام يا الله يبكيهم يا الله ميكس من الأمة الجنة يا الله ميكس من أهل الجنة يا الله كاتت الصمت النبي الكريم الله يدرس الجنة يا الله كاتت الصمت الأنبياء صمت الصحابة صمت التابعين صمت المتابعين صمت المقدرين المقدسين فقهاء الدين صمت الأولياء كاملين مستكين صالحين يا نبي الكريم جاتت بالصمت in this world protect us from the harm protect us the good except for sitting here on this night except for gathering on this night except for some on this night